Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We are speaking about a topic that affects every one of us. We're especially looking at the topic of grief. We're going to talk about it really from a first-person context because my guest is no stranger to this topic. Her name is June Thornton. June, great to have you with us on the show. And thank you so much for having me. June, a lot of folks know your name. They may know you by face if we had a video show instead of a radio show. But you are a well-known fitness expert. You've been featured in multiple media sources. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, my background is in fitness, specializing in Pilates, aerobics, yoga. And I even taught, had my own dance program for children where I taught ballet, tap, and jazz. So kind of a nice mixture. And, you know, I found myself just loving to help people feel better. I mean, the, the bonus or the cherry on top, so to speak, is the outside looking good and looking fit. But it really does so much more for your mental stress, uh, helps you sleep better, you feel better, it improves your heart, all your organs, but everyone wants to look fit. But it's really the inside of your body that benefits and your mental. I love your perspective on fitness and you know, really looking at whole person health. You and I had the privilege of connecting with a common radio guest that we're very interested in. You're actually also serving as a publicist, and you helped me line up Dr. Anthony uh, Stately, who was uh, a guest on a recent edition of our show, and I really appreciated you doing that. And as we got to talking in the context of, of Dr. Stately's uh, interview and all the, the prep that went behind that, I really learned that you had this fascinating story, both your own background in fitness and health, and then some of the challenges that you faced over the years. But you're not limited uh, really to just health and publicity work. You've done a variety of things. Tell us a little bit more about just how diverse your background is, June. Okay. Well, I'm an Army brat. I like to get that out the way first. I grew up in Germany, Frankfurt, Darmstadt. My father's a retired colonel. Um, he served in World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, and he is one of the original Tuskegee Airmen. He received a Purple Heart as well. And so Army Brats, as everyone knows, travel a lot. We lived in Italy and Pisa. I used to walk up and down the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, before it was leaning too much, they prohibit it now. I used to swim in the Rhine River. You know, it's just, it was great. It's something, such an experience that you cannot learn in a, a textbook. So I'm thankful for that. But the only thing, you never had friends that you grew up with from kindergarten. Mm. And there's so many people that say, oh, we were in second grade together. Now they're in their 50s or 60s. I'm like, oh, I wish I had that. But it helped me because I became a flight attendant with American Airlines for 15 years. And it's almost like you had to become a chameleon 
as soon as a new group of people came on board from Los Angeles, you know, you had to adapt to their, you know, culture and language. And then we would, you know, get another group of people from uh, Acapulco or uh, just another area. And it's almost like you had to be, become a chameleon just quickly uh, at a bat of an eye. So that really helped me in being a flight attendant and just being personable with people, all kinds of people from all walks of the earth. And uh, it's something that you could never learn in a book. So you have this rich background, June. You've uh, traveled much of the world, but you've also can relate to indigenous peoples. You've been, uh, uh, you know, you and I have, have talked off air. You know, you've dealt with a lot of the, you know, the issues that come with being a person of color and and uh, being displaced. Uh, maybe not necessarily being forced to be in a boarding school or something like that, but you've dealt, like you're sharing with us, this kind of sense yeah. of not having deep roots because of your moves as a military uh, brat, as you put it. So I know you can relate to my audience very, very deeply. At the same time, there's something that you've been through that some people can't relate to. Many others can. You've actually gone through some serious challenges and losses in your life, and we do want to talk about that. But before we get into that very moving story, Anything else that you think would help us understand you before we talk about that? Yes. One last thing I have to mention. I'm one of the first Miss District of Columbia cherry blossom princesses of color. And I really didn't realize the magnitude of that many years ago, 1977. And I was invited to the White House by President Jimmy Carter in the Rose Garden. And I noticed that all the young ladies that were representing their state, they had the banner, you know, Miss New York, Miss New Virginia, and so on and so on. I had Miss District of Columbia. I was the only person of color out of mm. all those princesses representing their state. And it still didn't dawn on me because I was always used to being the only one of color because of my background being, you know, an army brat. But then that night came and we had the cherry blossom ball at the Grand Hyatt. And they voted secretly the night before. Each young lady voted secretly. Who would become Miss Congeniality? And, you know, I voted for the person I thought. And so when it was time for them to announce it, they were saying, we need to recognize Miss Illinois. Because it was very close. And, you know, I was happy and everyone was clapping. And then they said, but the winner for Miss Congeniality is June Thornton from the District of Columbia. And I won it. Wow. I was the only one of color. And I looked back then and I was meeting the ambassador of Iran. I met the ambassador of Egypt. I had Mayor Walter Washington, uh, Congressman Fontroy, all these dignitaries around me. And I didn't realize the magnitude of it until I got older, mm. how how huge that was. So I do want to mention that, because being a woman of color, my grandmother was Indian. And so I just know a lot about how it feels, and sometimes you feel less than. Mm -hmm. And you just have to realize your worth and not let anyone take that away from you. Know your worth. Tremendous, tremendous. 
Mm-hmm. So, June, you've got this sense of being connected with people from across the spectrum. I mean, culturally, academically, I mean, you work with people traveling, you work with people in, mm-hmm. in the government, you've shared all that with us. But yes. none of that really prepared you for probably the most difficult thing that any parent can deal with. Tell us a little bit about what brought you into this uh, world of grief and, and why you're so passionate about the topic. Oh, it's certainly well. I'd be happy to share. Um, I have a son and daughter, Larry and Tiara, and I was a single mom. I was married, then divorced. Um, husband started drinking, and I have to add that because that's a big part of being a domestic violence survivor, mm. verbally, uh, physically. Uh, so primarily, coming up and raising my two children, it was just the three of us. And so Larry, Tiara, and myself, I moved out. I got my own place. I ended up working two, three jobs, but my children were well taken care of. And as they grew older and teenagers, we were just very, very close. But I will share with you, six years ago, on December 28th, I got a phone call. About 8 p.m., I was sitting here laying in bed watching television. And I said, hello? And someone said, this is the nurse from Holy Cross Hospital. Just let me know your son Larry is here, and a friend of his brought him here. And I said, oh, okay. She said, I'm sorry to inform you your son has passed away. I don't remember anything after that moment. I dropped the phone. I screamed. I fell back on the bed, and when I went to grief counseling, they were shocked that they did not ask me prior to telling me, is there anyone with you? Mm. Is someone with you? Because had I had to drive all the way here from College Park all the way over to Silver Springs, far out Wheaton, I could have crashed. It's a long drive. And all the grief counselors I have spoken to were shocked that they did not ask with someone with me. But nevertheless, moving forward, I don't remember anything else from that night. I couldn't walk. They had to wheelchair me in to the hospital. They made us wait four hours. Wow. Without seeing him. And they said the reason for that, they were kind of interrogating the young lady that brought him to the hospital. We finally got to see him. He was laying there on a metal table. They had his money, his cell phone, and the other things that were in his pocket of his jeans laying on a separate table to give to me. And I looked at him, and his skin was kind of faded. It was very cold. Keep in mind, it was December 28th. Anyway, the doctor... When we left the the room, the doctor said that when he got there, he had been gone seven or eight hours before he got to the hospital. Oh, my. Yeah. And so the person that was with him just rode around, panicked, and rode around. And I looked at my son's GPS on his phone. It showed that he went to, you know, another hospital, sat out in the parking lot, probably was scared to death to go in. but. He didn't, he panicked. And 
it, it was seven or eight. He went home. I left my son's body in the car. He went home. He went inside, conjured up a story. And lo and behold, my son, which is, a, he's a sweetheart. And this is such a stigma to this. I, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I really did not share it with many people for a long time. They said, well, what happened to him? I would say, oh, he had a blood clot or his heart stopped. Mm-hmm. And because it's such a stigma. Larry was so funny. Oh, he could have been a comedian. He loved to cook. He worked at a senior citizen home. A lot of the patients there said, his name was Larry Kimbrew. They said, oh, I just want Mr. Kimbrew to, to shower me in bathing. And they told their family, I don't want anyone else but Mr. Kimbrew to, to Larry Kimbrew to, to, to wash me and bathe me. He was so good with elderly, mm-hmm. always complimental. Long story short, he tried a drug that night. Oh, His friend kept saying, oh, 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 you must try it. And Larry kept saying, no, 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 I don't want you. Oh, you must try it. And he tried it one time. And that was it. Wow. The overdose. Wow. I have to be true. I have to be honest with you. I want to tell the truth, the stigma. And I will say this. All the counseling I have had, they don't look at it as a disease or an illness like they do cancer, diabetes, MS or any other problem, you know, uh, uh, blood cancer, or it, 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 I'm going to be honest with you on this. It doesn't matter how your child dies, mm. whether it's a car accident, it could be a car accident, it could be a blood clot, it could be that they had, you know, um, a, a cancer, they could have diabetes, but this is a disease as well, but they don't, people do not look at it as a disease because it gets in your brain. It mm. gets to it starts, uh, dealing with the, the rationale of your mind. And so it is a disease just like alcoholism and any other disease. And I didn't know that. But the stigma behind it is very bothersome. I'm not making excuses, but it is a disease just like any other disease, kidney disease, liver disease. No, thank you. Thank you so much, June, for, for making that point. And we definitely want to explore some more about those elements and also how you've bounced back from going through that. Not that it's, uh, not that it's ever easy. We've got to step away just briefly, but we're going to be coming back with June Thornton. She's got some powerful messages that can help you on your journey if you're dealing with grief or other challenges in your life. I'm Dr. David DeRose, June Thornton. My guest will be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose with June Thornton. We're talking about the perhaps most difficult thing a parent can deal with, and that is getting the news that their child has passed away. June is sharing with us just the trauma of that. If you were with us at the beginning of the hour, she shared how her only son, Larry, tragically died. Getting that traumatic call and then processing it is what uh, we're moving into here because it's something that hopefully you won't have to deal with, but far too many individuals do deal with the loss of a child. June, no one has ever really prepared for this, and you've been sharing with us just how traumatic that was. You don't even remember what happened after getting the announcement and showing up in the hospital. What was the initial impact of this traumatic event on your life? I I couldn't believe what I just heard over the phone. Mm. I mean, it was just like, I know I didn't hear what I just heard, but I did. I just dropped the phone and, and everything from that point on, I felt like I was in an outer body experience. I felt like, you know, I, I was just there, but I wasn't there. If that makes sense. No, I hear it you. It was just, it just didn't seem real. Wow. And so, but going forward, I will tell you that. You know, it was between Christmas, had just passed three days ago. It was the 28th of December, so I couldn't do anything until after New Year's. And everyone was saying, Happy New Year, blowing horns and all. And I just broke down crying. Mm. I said to myself, What's happy about it? Right. So, I'm so happy about it. I just broke down crying. Um, but I, I felt like it wasn't real. I still expected Larry to call me on my cell phone and say, Hey, mom. You know, and he would tell everyone, my mom's my best friend. 
I would say, Larry, don't, I'm not your best friend. I'm your mom. He said, well, mom, you're my best friend too, though. And I'm like, okay, Larry. But it felt like he was going to walk through the front door any moment. Wow. And, and, and yeah. And then I started having a pain over my heart. And my sister, who was a nurse for 40 years, lives in New Jersey. She said, Jane, you know, you need to get that checked out. And I went to the emergency room. And this was maybe three weeks after he had passed. The doctor came in, and she had already examined me, taken blood, checked me out, and she, her eyes filled up with water. Mm. She said, you're, you're suffering from a broken heart syndrome. And it is very, very real. Wow. And she said, would you harm yourself? I said, no. She said, would you harm anyone else? I said, no. I said, but if I didn't wake up tomorrow morning, that'd be just fine with me. Mm. I said, because if I had to live the rest of my life and wake up every morning and think, think about Larry all day long, and then the last thing at night before I go to sleep, I think about Larry for the rest of my life like this, I'd rather not be here. So, June, we're getting the picture that you and your son, very, very close. I mean, he called you his best friend. You and I have talked off air, and Larry was kind of between things at this time. He had his own place, but he actually was even living with you at the time he passed away. Is that right? That is correct. Wow. So you're used to seeing him day in and day out in your place of residence. You get a call out of the blue, it seems like. Now he's mm-hmm. gone, and now you're living with that reality of your son not being there. Correct. And I do have a daughter that I'm very close with as well. And Larry and Tiara were very close. They were so close, they could finish each other's sentences. I remember Larry telling me, a lot of his friends would say, Man, who's that beautiful girl? Who's that fine girl you're with? He says, what girl? He's in the one you walk to class all the time, and you're holding her books, and you have lunch with her in the cafeteria. And Larry said, that's my sister, Tiara. <laughs> she's beautiful. And But she said, that's my sister. He said, you're kidding, man. She's gorgeous. But they were, they were just, they were the cl- cl- close, 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 mm. so close. He comes to her every night in her, in her dreams, every night. She said, Larry, just won't leave me alone, Mom. Larry's in my dreams. I said, well, does that bother you? She says, no, it doesn't bother me at all. She said, I like, I love it. But, um, yeah, we were very close. But all three of us remember coming up, it was just the three of us. Right, right, right. But, but I, I went on to remarry. And the way I met my husband, my second husband that I'm still married to now, is through Larry, my son. He was his biology teacher in middle school. Wow. Yes. And he called me and asked for a parent-teacher conference and said, you know, we had a big science project and science fair, and Larry didn't have his all together. And so I went up there and had a meeting with him, and I went across the street and tried to help my son get this together real quick. And the project the project was which balloon would stay up the longest, the helium, the helium one, or the, or the you know, stay blown up. And... He said it was the lamest 
project, but he gave him a B because he <laughs> liked his mother. <laughs> okay. But that's you don't have to, you know, <laughs> mention that or not. But anyway, um, so the rest is history. Um, but it was because of my son that we met, and we've been together 25 years. So my husband and I. So you were married prior to Larry Larry passing yeah. away. Yes, I was married to Larry Senior, Larry and Tierra's father. Okay. Larry Senior, and he's the one that was a Vietnam vet, started drinking, and he got himself together now. And we're we're friends, but I had to move, and that's when it was just the three of us for the next nine years. I get it. I get it. Yes. <laughs> so basically, if I'm hearing the picture right, I'm saying I get it, but just make sure that I really do. So you had not yet married your current husband at the time you lost Larry. Is that fair to no, say? I, I had. I had. We were, were together 25 years, and Larry just passed six years ago. Okay. So, okay. yes. But I met him because my son was, he was my son's teacher 25 years ago before we started dating. So you've got a husband to, who's trying to help you through this journey. He's connected with Larry not only because he's his his son by marriage, but he's also yes. been his student, you know, a student Absolutely. of his. Absolutely. So help us. So someone else is going through the same thing. What kind of things have helped you so that you're back, you're back in the work world now? I'm, I'm assuming that initially mm -hmm. this had a huge impact on what you were able to do, you know, your fitness classes, your, you know, yes. your speaking. I imagine all of that just kind of went off to the wayside. Is that fair to it say? Did. It did. I, I had to stop teaching my fitness classes. I found myself having to go and get grief counseling, which is absolutely fine. And especially people with, with, with in color, they find that a stigma behind going to get help and seeing psychiatrists or psychologists or going to grief counseling, whereas, you know, Caucasians, they do it freely. You know, it's no stigma. But I don't know, for some reason, brown, black people, have a, it's a stigma, oh, you're going to get help, you need help, are you mentally something wrong with you? And I went and seeked help. I got help. I was in a partially hospitalization program, PHP program, and they taught me how to to deal with, and I, I really don't like this word, the new normal, because there's nothing normal about this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't utilize that word, but I'm just saying they, that's what they used, and I know they meant well, but there's nothing normal about this. I get it. And, right, but I'm just going to let you know, hopefully I can help a few other people that are going through, through this. I went to counselors. Some counselors said, oh, in a year you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Grief takes a while. You know, you go through the seven stages, you know, um, shock, uh, denial, uh, bargaining with God, like, I wish I should have, could have, would have done this or done that. Then you go through, uh, where you start, uh, feeling a little bit more comfortable and accepting it. And I have to share with you, yes, there are seven stages of grief, but truly there are only three. Hmm. And that's the beginning of it, the middle of it, and the rest of your life. Well, okay. I, I mean, that's a good note on which to transition into our next break because, you know, it's a powerful statement you're making, June, and that is that uh, 
it's not something that you ever get over. It's, exactly. uh, it, and especially, you know, we'll talk through this because, you know, you lost your son at a time where there's a lot of attention to, you know, celebrating. And, you, you know, you talked about that at the very first New Year's without him. But there's a New Year's every year, right? A Christmas every year. And as the holidays start creeping upon me, it feels like a black cloud just starting to creep up over my shoulder and over my head. No, we, we want to go there. We want to go there. We do have to step away. Okay. So for okay. those of you tuning in today, June Thornton is my guest. You may know her because she's a popular fitness trainer. She's a fitness expert. She's been on television, radio. You may have heard her name. You may have seen her. She's uh, sharing, though, a different journey, a journey through grief. We've got a lot more to come. Practical pointers for you and for those that you love. I'm Dr. David DeRose. The show is American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We'll be coming back with more right after these important messages. Stay tuned. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's samhsa.gov support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. 
My guest, June Thornton, she's a fitness expert and publicist in the Washington, D.C. area. Today, though, she's sharing her journey through grief, having lost her only son, Larry, tragically. Now she's trying to help others who might be going through the same journey. June, as we stepped away at the end of the last segment, you encouraged us to reframe the stages of grief. And like you said, you're not saying that we don't deal with things like denial or bargaining or depression, but there really is no final resolution to grief. There's the beginning, as you said, of grief, the middle, and then the rest of your life. So you told us that one of the things that helped you, and I really want my listeners to take this in, is that you got professional help, and you sh- and a person shouldn't feel that that professional help has some stigma attached to it. So I thought you made that point eloquently, but having said that, there's a lot of folks likely that are tuning in right now. Maybe they felt, well, I talked with someone right after my son or my daughter died, but um, didn't really spend much time with it. Uh, I seem to be doing better then. Now it's three months, four months, six months out, a year out and it's still seeming very raw, when is it too late to get counseling? Never. Never. And that's such a good question. Thank you so much for asking. Chronic grief counseling. I had never heard of that before. And this past April, my son's birthday is April 3rd, I started feeling very nervous and jittery. I said, oh, it's the coffee. And I said, I started drinking decaf. I still still felt jittery. Mm. All of a sudden, I have a home, uh, you know, um, blood pressure medicine, um, machine. And my pressure was up. And I, my pressure runs low, 102 or 106 over 65. I went to the emergency room that night. My blood pressure was 189 over 99. Wow. My heart rate normally is 58, 60. My heart rate was 99. And they shared with me, they kept me overnight, and they said I was suffering with depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm. and anxiety. I said, but it's been five and a half, almost six years ago. They say, you don't know anything about chronic grief counseling? Some people never get over it. Most mm. people never get over it. You have to go back. It's, I'll give you an example. It's almost like going to church every Sunday. It kind of reboot and revitalizes yourself um, to get through the next week and then the next week or going to an AA meeting, Alcoholic Anonymous meeting. It gets you through the next week. And then next week, so this this is what chronic grief counseling does. Hmm. You may have to go back three years later, or you may have to go back 10 years later. There's no time frame. I'm like, what is chronic grief counseling? And I found out that that's what the problem was. It never goes away. Yes, you do learn to deal with it better, but it never goes away. I went back to work too soon for example. Mm. And everyone was saying, oh, June, you're so strong. And I'm saying to myself on the inside, no, I'm not. They're saying, and they said, June, how are you doing? I'm, I'm taking one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where I was not strong. I was not doing good. I was not sleeping at night. I was not eating 
well. I had to come back out of the workplace and go back into uh, partial counseling from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, to learn, continue getting grief counseling. Wow. So you were pretty much like in a day hospital program, getting pretty intensive therapy. Partial hospitalization, PHP program, correct. I was there 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. So what kind of life lessons have you learned? So we're not saying it's a substitute for counseling. I mean, I think you've made that point, like I said, eloquently, and you've emphasized it, and I really value that. So we don't want to say, oh, well, you listen to American Indian and Alaska Native Living and Jean Thornton, where you don't need counseling now. She gave you all the pointers. But what kind of things have you learned in the journey that are kind of the things that might help someone while they're in counseling, before they can get in, maybe they're in an area of the country where there's a long waiting list to get into mental health services. Help us out. What kind of other practical things can we do or implement? I would say some of the most important things to do are to make sure that you're eating healthy, that you're getting your rest and sleep. Sleep is very important. Don't be afraid to ask your doctor for help to sleep, to get something to help you to sleep if you need it, or go holistic, or whatever works for you, you go to a doctor and ask. Do not be ashamed. If you don't get enough sleep, you have sleep deprivation, and that makes the depression and grief that much harder for you. Mm. Other things you can do, you can exercise. And I'm not saying jump running and, and jogging and anything that's, you know, high impact. It could be just a little bit of yoga, maybe some Pilates, maybe some, maybe some stretching, maybe some deep breathing, things of that nature. Reading positive things, trying to think positively. Have a circle of network of people around you that are supporting you, your family, your friends. And sometimes, and this is with the capital S, Sometimes you need to learn to exclude people mm. in your circle that are putting extra stress on you. They could be coworkers, they could be friends, they could be family. If you start feeling overwhelmed, like myself, I had to put a circle of protection around myself because I felt like I was being pulled in this direction, pulled in that direction. I didn't want to be around a lot of people. I didn't want to talk on the phone a whole lot. Sometimes you just need time to be with yourself and a few people that are supportive and understanding. So what I hear you saying, to me the big message is it's okay to choose to be alone, but at the same time, you're also saying that family and friends can be a source of strength, that you just want to be careful that who you're associating with how much time you're spending because you may need some more time to yourself, but you want to be careful that you don't get isolated. Am I bringing those concepts together correctly? You are absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. You, There's nothing wrong. It's okay to not be okay. There's a book. It's called It's Okay to Not Be Okay, and it's profound. And I would encourage, it's not by me, I just read it during my grief counseling, and it was very helpful. But I will have to share this 
valuable tip that helped me and may help someone else. And I, if I help one person, just one today, I will have done my job. Think about the people that need you here on this earth. Your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your cousins, your relatives. That's what saved me. I have a daughter here. I have a stepdaughter that needs me. My daughter needs me. My grandchildren. I'm a former cheerleader. We do cheers together. We play Uno. We dance together. We do exercises together, stretching. And they bring so much joy to me. And before, I was thinking of just, I wish I could go with Larry. I wanted to be with him. Mm. I wanted to go out to the gravesite and just sleep out there in a, in a, with a blanket and pillow all night. Until my husband said, June, that's not, you can't do that. I, I really thought it was fine. And so th you think differently. You just think you want to be close to him. And I know he's not really there. But going back to what helped me was thinking about people still need me here. June, you're not done yet. You still have a lot to do, even if it's helping other people that are going through grief. And I want to reiterate this with you. And I think I shared it with you before we started talking and recording. Grief could be your husband coming home and saying, after 24 years of marriage, I want a divorce. I'm mm -hmm. in love with someone else. Grief could be being a school teacher for 20 years, loving to work, working with your second and third graders. And they let you go or, or say we're downsizing, losing a big job or getting fired from a big job. That's grief. That could mm -hmm. put you in a mm -hmm. huge funk. It could be grief from finding out you have a terminal illness. Grief could hit you really hard finding out that. So grief is, comes in different forms, not just loss of a loved one, loss of a, mate, a job, loss of a spouse because of them wanting to get, you know, divorced. It could be an illness. So it's a lot of different ways that grief can hit someone. No, that is such an important point, June. I'm glad you're emphasizing that. And we've been talking about this terrible trauma of losing a child and you know we, we're not minimizing that but you're exactly right someone tuning in today or many people tuning in today may be grieving for totally different reasons and what i love about what you're saying is you know there's hope and part of that hope comes i appreciate you emphasizing the fact that if we focus on the pain like you were sharing if you focus on what you've lost it just makes you, you know, like you shared, you just want to give up. You just want to be with that person. You, you don't care if you wake up anymore. But when you okay. start focusing on who needs you, why am I here, what's my purpose, I still have purpose and meaning in life, and I'm really thankful that you're emphasizing that because I believe that there's nobody on planet Earth that isn't here for a reason. I believe there's a, a loving creator that's sustaining people because he's got a plan for their life. So, um, you know, connect with that, I hear you saying. Exactly. And I had to realize it took a moment. It took a little while because I was grieving so bad that I said, wait a minute, I have a purpose. I might be able to help others that are going through something like this because I have done a lot of speaking on fitness and nutrition and, you know, I'm just a good storyteller sometimes, <laughs> I've been told. 
But, you know, I said, you know what, I could actually, I wrote a little uh, podcast, and I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people responding. Wow. I lost my son, too. I lost my wife. How are you doing it? Your post helped me so much. I mean, hundreds and people have been asking me left and right, Junior, to do a podcast, and you would be great. And, you know, someone told me, June, you have a purpose. You might may either write a book or you may have a podcast or some kind of a show where people can call in and talk to you. And, you know, they said it may take a while for you to be able to do this. I feel now that I'm able to do this. And thank you so much for allowing me to share my experience. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But what I am is someone that can speak from personal experience. Mm-hmm, for sure. And we, we love the fact that you've been willing to pull away from your very, very busy responsibilities to share with us. June, we we're hoping you can stay by for our final segment. We have to step away just briefly. Can you stay with us? Certainly can. Perfect. So we're going to come back. June has some final messages, things that I think you'll find both encouraging and give you some focus for whatever you're dealing with. We're talking with June Thornton. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. 
Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. June Thornton is sharing with us her journey through grief. June has been uh, very open with us, having lost a, a son, her only son, in his 30s, and uh, just how traumatic that was. But how she's been able to bounce back from that, it doesn't mean it's easy now, as June has uh, made that point more than once, but it is something. It is something that there is help for through counseling, through practical strategies. June, we want to talk more about those practical strategies for people dealing with grief from whatever the source might be. What other things do you think are important for someone who is grieving, whether they just lost someone, just lost a job, just lost a a relationship, or whether it happened five or six years ago or ten years ago, but it's still painful? I would have to say probably the most important things that a person can do is to try their best to have positive thinking. Look for opportunities instead of the negative. Also, accept yourself the way you are. It's okay not to be okay. Don't be so self-critical or so critical of ourselves. Don't do that. We need to think of it as each day as we're progressing and taking one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, and one second at a time to get through each day. Now, this is really interesting that you're mentioning these two things together because I know you've processed this, but a lot of people struggle with this. You know, you mentioned the positive thinking, but you also mentioned it's okay to be not okay. And so a lot of folks say, well, I'm not positive. I'm struggling right now. Why are you telling me to be positive? That's not going to help me because I'm dealing with this terrible loss. So how do you bring those two concepts together? In other words, how is it okay to grieve and feel sad, but you're still trying to cultivate positive thinking? Help us with that. That's an excellent question. Because you're giving yourself the time to get through each second and minute and hour. It doesn't seem so overwhelming. In other words, saying, oh, I have to be happy today and every day this week and the the whole month and when I go into work, I have to be cheerful. You do you. You get through. Take your time. There's no time limit on grieving. And what you need to do, which was very helpful to myself, some days I cried, some days I didn't, some days were better. And I stopped saying I have good days and bad days. This is just me speaking. I stopped saying I have good days and bad days. I say I have good days and some days and not so good days. Because Mm. I don't want to speak that negativity into existence. That's good. I like that. Yes. So what I would do is just try to develop the best I can. Think about things that make me happy. And I used to not understand that, but it does take time. Think about, again, all the people that love you, all the family members that love you, your spouse, your your, your sister, your brother, your children need you, your grandkids need you. So many people need you. And your job isn't done yet. And now you need to know your purpose. And you mentioned that, and you were spot on. You need to know that you have a purpose, that you're still here. Because you know why? You can help others that are going through the exact same thing 
people lost their spouse. It doesn't necessarily have to be a child. I was in many grief sessions where people had lost their husband, their wife, their sister, their brother, their mother, their father. Some had lost their children, which losing a child is one of the most devastating ones, only because it's not the natural order of things. Mm-hmm, right. There's no, it doesn't make it any less painful. So I don't want people to think, oh, hers is more than, you know, more, you know, painful than mine. No, it's the relationship you have with that person. But I will say, if you take it slow, take one minute, at, one day at a time, and try to just take, Stay calm uh, when you're talking to people that are asking too many questions. What happened? How did they die? You may not want to relive how they died. You right. may not want to share that. You know, some people say, oh, they're in a better place than we are. And they mean well, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how do you know? You've never been there. But what I'm saying is they mean well. Um, so when people say, ask questions, I just say, you know, I, I can't really go into it, but it's too difficult for me to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. But thank you, thank you so much for asking. Nice. I'm doing okay. Nice, yeah. Nice. Well, well, let's, and then they stop. Yeah, well, let's talk about that just a little bit more because that's always the other difficult part of it is how can someone support someone who's grieving? And I think a lot of people, you know, just based on what you're sharing with us, they're afraid to say anything because they don't want to ask something. They don't want to say, well, you know, it's been a year since Larry passed away, should they mention his name to you, or is that going to bring, you know, a bad memory? What helps you when it comes to your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers, as maybe you're coming to an anniversary, Christmas time, does it help to acknowledge that loss? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, most people want to keep their loved one alive. They want to hear their name. Mm. Not every single day, not every hour, not every time you have that conversation with your sisters or friends or or whomever, or colleagues work, you know, at work, but they do want you to mention that name every now and then. Don't act like he did not exist. Mm. But at the same token, there's a fine line there where he doesn't need to, or, or she doesn't need to be mentioned every single time you huh. see the person. Okay. Larry would do that. Larry would be so funny. Larry did that. Yeah. But if the shoe fits, where, for instance, someone would say, Larry would do that exact same thing, you know, or I remember when we had a, a party when you went away. We had a party in the house while you were gone. <laughs> Things like that. But keep his legacy alive. Mm. Um, it is very hard when there a lot of people shy away from you. I had a cousin that said, I don't know what to say to Jim. I don't really want to talk to her because I don't know what to say to her. Right. So they, they would shun, they would stay away from me. And so you're absolutely right. They don't know what to do. But some nice things that people can do. Instead of saying, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Just do it. Mm. Just show up at their apartment or their home with a, a dish or their favorite food. It could be lasagna or pizza or, you know, just thought of you and this is for you. Instead of having to ask, is there anything I can do for you? Just do it. Mm. Or give them a card that says, just thinking of you with a little gift card to, you know, a coffee, Subway, uh, Dunkin' Donuts. It's a nice gesture. Or give them a book with positive sayings, hmm. positive sayings. Like, I can stand anything for a while. I can take the time that I need, that Jim needs. I'm going to take this opportunity to use this experience and learn something new from it, change my direction, or try to take a new approach at something. I can stay calm when talking to difficult people. It's just a lot of things that you have to learn to do 
because it's you don't want to be upset about every little thing. You want to prove that you can take this new reality one day and one step at a time. And you can say no when people are pulling you in 10,000 different directions. Won't you come out to lunch? Let's do brunch. Let's go here. Let's go to show. Can you do a movie? If you don't feel like it, just say no, but mm-hmm. thank you so much. Mm-hmm. We want to say no. And it's okay. It's okay not to feel okay. If there is no end. You will feel better, but there is no end. So learn to just surround and have that perimeter around you that protects you from especially people that are too needy because that will sap all your energy. But those are things. Sleeping, eating, getting your rest, doing things, trying to exercise. Because exercising actually releases those endorphins. You can't find it in a bottle. If you could, you'd be a multi-billionaire. You can't find it in a bottle. If you had those endorphins that kick out when you do exercise, and again, it doesn't have to be high-impact aerobics. It could be walking. It could be just doing some breathing techniques. It could be doing some yoga, some Pilates, something. It could be dancing. I know it's, you think you're never going to dance again. I thought I would never smile again, and mm. I smile all the time. But slowly but surely, it'll come back. But the most important thing that will help people that have gone through something like this is to try to help someone else. Because when you try to help someone else, that makes you feel good. Well, June, you've been doing that. You've been uh, sharing your story. You've been sharing your insights. And uh, we so appreciate you that you were willing to take time and join us for American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Our time has pretty much just about slipped away from us. But uh, maybe someone's jumped on kind of late. Maybe they've been with us for the whole show. And you'd like to leave them with a final message, a final word of encouragement. What would that be? I would say just think to yourself that you are willing to do whatever is necessary to make tomorrow better for yourself. Mm. And I would certainly like, if anyone would like to reach out to me, they certainly would be more than welcome to email me. How do they do that, June? They would email me at Thornton June. 46 at yahoo.com. That's Thornton T as in Tom, H O R N T O N, June, J U N E, the number 46 at yahoo.com. June, thank you so very much for sharing not only your time, but also your contact information. Thank you so much. Hopefully, today's show has helped each of you, my listeners, to gain some new insights into how to deal with grief. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.